All right, guys, here's another episode of the Daily CDs. I'd like to take this time to thank all the people who've joined my Patreon. I really appreciate that. And then also the guys who have joined the, my membership on my YouTube channel. Uh, all that really helps a lot. And also to uh, Value Pack, dog food. You know, I fed Value Pack before. I really thought it was good dog food. The hounds did really good on it. And uh, I'll be feeding it again here soon. Uh, I think it's really important that we support the companies that support what we do. Also to W Supply. Uh, they provide this platform for us to share our content. And uh, I want to thank them for that. Anyway, here's that episode. Enjoy. Well, now this is about Joe Meadows from Fort Smith, Arkansas, and he was quite a, quite a character. He worked our own construction there in Phoenix for, I think, a number different, number uh, for a number of years at different times. And he'd be back in Fort Smith, and then he'd be out there. Well, he was up there on the White Mountains once and deer hunting and met us, and then he was interested in hounds and. I think he had a few hounds once, and he hunted some. So I was camped in over in the Santa Ritas, and uh, not the Santa Ritas, the Sierra Anchas. And so, uh, boy, away they went, and after a while, well, we heard heard them treat and got up pretty close to them, and we knew good and well that all those dogs weren't there. But anyway, this Joe Meadows was a, a doggone real pistol shot. He could sure shoot a pistol, and he had a three fifty seven Magnum. I think that's even before they started to making the forty four Magnum. And so anyway, well, he killed this bear with this Magnum, and it was a good big bear. And he shot it in the head and killed it the first shot, and it was high in the tree. And so... We got over to the next tree, and they, they had a, these other dogs had a bar tree. We could hear them treed from, from that tree. Well, of course, as soon as these other, this first pack had chewed on that bar a little bit, well, they, they heard these others, and they went to them, and all of them started treeing, and we went over there, and this partner is it, it lined up to go bar hunting with him. Joe says, well, Joe, Goodbye. It looks to me like you're a pretty good shot with that pistol. said, now, if you can kill him, I'll let you kill my bear, and I'll have him mounted. I'd rather see you kill him than I'd kill him. Old Joe said, well, I can kill him. All right, so this bear was, wasn't as big as the one we just treed, but it's a nice bear. And old Joe killed it. And, uh, that was our first day. Well, that's what they came for. So they were supposed to have, I think, a week hunt or something like that. They're just going to hunt a few days, not a regular length hunt. <clears throat> so we fooled around there with them a few days, day or two more, and then they left. Then later on, then, oh, I don't remember how long after that. It was over in the camped in the White Mountains up there at Clell's cabin and come a-riding up the highway to turn off the road that goes into Clell's cabin horseback one day. And right there, 
where his little road t took off from the main highway blacktop road, there's a little old airplane down there. Well, I looked at that airplane off of the road, pushed, pushed it down there, and had it kind of, the wheels scotched and kind of tied down a little bit or something, as I remember, with some little rope or some ropes or something. And I said, well, by golly, I know the nut that done that. You know, I said, he's from Colorado. And it's only about a mile on up to Clell's cabin and rode on up there, and old Joe stepped out. And I said, well, that's a, that's a nut that I didn't think about, because he's bound to be a nutter to land on that highway. So the next morning, Dudley and I was going to go up to, uh, to uh, Gallup. I believe it is Dud. But any, anyway, if it was, is before Clell built his cabin. Either, somebody was with me there, and I, maybe it wasn't Dud, because I hadn't seen Dud in a long time. But anyway, we were we was going to haul a pack of hounds up and hunt a few days around Gallup, New Mexico, which is quite a ways up there. And old Joe says, good. Says, I'll, uh, I'll pilot. You can ride with me. And this fellow here that's going to help you, he can drive the pickup and bring the hounds on up, and we'll go up there and wait for him. I said, yeah, we won't. You might, but we won't. Why? I said, well, I'm not getting in that thing with you and going up there. I said, this is high altitude here. I said, by the we're almost 9,000 feet right here, and possibly could be 9,000. Oh, we can make it all right. I said, well, we're not going to because I'm not getting in that thing with you. Might have been a pretty good little plane, just small plane, one engine. So the next morning we went down and and uh, was in the pickup and had it loaded, and he is with us. And we stopped down there, and this boy that was with me, he run up the highway, and I run down the highway to stop the traffic. And we got the airplane pushed up on the road, though. And I must have been down there a couple of hundred yards and maybe farther. This other boy was back up the road quite a ways, and he's going to go in this little downhill down this canyon. He got that plane to going, and just a little ways he had it off the ground. But when he come over me, there I was two or three hundred yards down there. Oh, boy. He was just a grit in his teeth. And he couldn't get up above the trees there for quite a ways. He had to just follow that highway down through there or trying to get up altitude to get up over these high trees and in this canyon too. And he's done a good job of following that road. And I stood there and watched him. He went out of sight and he's still arising a little bit slowly. And I said, yeah, and then he wanted me in there with him. <clears throat> I said, it's liable not I got up over those trees if I'd have been in there with him. So we jumped in the pickup, and oh, I've forgotten how long how long it took us, but it took us quite a while to get the gallop. And he is up there waiting for us. So we hunted, I think, three or four days up there at gallop. And uh, 
never done no good, never found, we found just some old line sign, but never found a thing that we could run. But one day we was fooling around there shooting, and I I got tickled. He, we was a, he was a shooting this six-shooter, and all of us is shooting it a little. So now in a minute I said something to him about how to shoot a six-shooter. And he said, now listen, Dale. Says you can tell me about these ions. You can tell me how they work, which one of them is doing the work, and which one of them it is that's a barking, and which one's going to be the fastest on the trail. But he said, don't you try to tell me anything about shooting a pistol, because I I know good and well that I know a lot more about a shooting a pistol than you do. And I know that I'm a lot better pistol shot than you are. And all that tickled me and I laughed because that was right. He knew a lot more about a pistol than I could, did and he could he could sure shoot a pistol. Well, anyway, when we left there, well, he had left in his plane and pulled up from there and started and he was coming to Fort Smith, Arkansas. And we went on back to the camp there in the White Mountains, and that's the last time I saw poor old Joe. In about six months, well, we got word from his wife that what, that Joe was killed in a plane by himself, right there close to Fort Smith somewhere. Said they didn't know what was wrong, didn't know, but he crashed and was killed. And I said... Yeah, and if I'd have been with him when he tried to get up there and that much more weight, we both might have been killed in the White Mount. I told him, I said, them planes are dangerous if you're driving them all the time. Oh, they're all right. But that that was poor old Joe. That's the way he went. And I sure, he, he is sure a good old boy, and I liked him. Well, now, this is uh, this is about Mr. Joseph Shirk from Peru, Indiana, and he owned he owned a bank there and had run it for years and years. He took, uh, went to running that bank right after he got out of college. Now, he was a man up in years the first time he ever started hunting with us. And he would, uh, uh, at one or two times he hunted with us twice a year, but most of the time, he would he would hunt with us just once a year, and uh, it didn't make any difference if he got his game the first day. He was going to stay and hunt until his time was up, and he and he always lined up for a two weeks hunt. Now he could do things that was wonderful for anybody of any age, just about it. He wouldn't get sore. And saddle sore and all that, and I mean you could hunt him every day and on long go rounds, and he just didn't get sore. And he said, "Well, I, I should stay in condition. I ride with you two weeks ever, ever fall." And he said, "One time I rode with you for two weeks in the spring and two weeks in the fall." And he said, "Oh, I stay in shape." Well, that. That don't keep a man in shape for riding, and maybe then he's not on a horse till he rides with us again. But anyway, one time we put him on uh, 
he wrote to us and wanted us to buy him a new saddle. He wasn't very well pleased with the saddle that he'd rode, so we bought him what we thought was a good saddle that was a good high price saddle we thought would uh, please him. Well, all right, and that's the only time he got sore. That saddle it hadn't hardly been broke in. Blue saddle, and the first day out, well, we did go a long ways, and that new saddle made him pretty saddle sore. And I think that's the only time that he ever laid in because he was so he was sore. And we told him that that is the reason if he'd rode them old saddles we had, he wouldn't have got sore. But anyway, well, he hunted with us 16 times and was scheduled to hunt the 17th time and uh, had the date set and all. And just about a month before we was to meet him to take him a hunting, well, he had been out there from Peru out in the country somewhere in an automobile, and he'd missed the road a little bit and hit a curb. Well, he had a little accident on his knee, and they operated on his knee. And he was getting along fine. And uh, when he died, well, he now he lived in one of these either two- or three-story house there in Peru. And the stars had wind up from the bottom floor up to the top floor. And I'm sure I've been in it and been up those stars that was uh, winding up there. And he had trophies all on the walls up the stars as you climbed up. Then the upper room up there was kind of more or less his den. And he had trophies all over that wall up there. He never did want to, or he never did go to Africa for all that game, and he didn't want to. He just done his hunting in North America. But he had hunted all over North America, and he had made several trips for sheep, and he had killed the doll sheep, and the stone sheep, and the bighorn, and I don't remember whether he'd hunted the desert bighorn or not. And he'd hunted them. He'd hunt an animal several different times. He wasn't just a going for the trophy and wanting to collect. He'd go because he loved to hunt. And after he'd hunted with us a few times, he told Clell and I, he said, well, I'm going to hunt with you boys as long as I can hunt. And he stood up to his word. He did. The last time he hunted with us, he was 72 years old. But anyway, well, on, and he also hunted with us in Mexico and South America after Jaguar. And out of that 16 times, we missed getting him what he come after one time. And he told us after that, he said, you know, says, according to my wife, that time that I didn't bring back anything to have mounted or nothing, says was the most successful hunt that I was ever on when I did with you boys when I didn't get anything. But on his last hunt, well, that may that he was seventy two. He we were in had a camp in an old far cabin and where there was corrals and all and a barn to in the San Mateo Mountains of New Mexico, and there were a good bunch of lions in there. There's lots of lions. 
far as lines. Of course, you don't find lines thick like you do small game, because they takes too much to feed them. But anyway, we'd, as I remember, we had hunted two or three days and hit some old line tracks and trailed them some, but nothing that we could, the dogs could really work, and we never did jump one. So we were coming in, making a big circle late one evening, and we was probably, oh, four miles from camp. And we found three wild horses that the Forest Service had shot. And the last one we come by was a big, was a, a big stallion. Now, lions don't do this very often, but they do will sometimes. We knew that there was, there was a lion eating on this horse. Well, it is, it is real late, and we figured that it, if we could trail this lion up, then the dogs picked up the tracks and was trying to trail them. And it, but it was so late, we figured it'd get dark so quick that we couldn't trail it up and jump it before dark. So we got our dogs and went on to camp. It was quite a while after camp, when we, dark, when we got to camp. So, boy, we, of course, we was sure anticipating uh, hitting some line tracks in, uh, the next morning. And it started drizzling rain right after dark. And it rained all night. It's not hard, but just a good hard drizzle. And the next morning at daylight, it's still drizzling, and we got up early to go and was uh, got breakfast, and, and it finally quit drizzling. So instead of sitting around in camp all day, we decided we'd just saddle up and go over and look at the, those horses to see if any lion had eat on them. Now, we had a hunter up there uh, that had done lots of hunting, and had a pack of hounds for years and years, and his name was Barty Henderson, a small fellow, and he was a rancher up there, and had a ranch right there close to us. And sometimes well, we would rent horses from him when we went over there to use on our hunts. So, and he is with us, but we had our own saddle animals, and but Henderson, I think, had his but I don't, I don't remember, but I know we had rented horses from him. He said, listen, he said, there's one big old line in here that we have run several times, and we've jumped him, and I've been right up at him. And if I ever see that line again, I'll know him. And I'd like for you guys to get after him. And he called another fellow's name, says, now he's got what he thinks is a good pack of hounds, and I think they're pretty good. And he has run that line with me a time or two. And he said, now, I don't remember how many times, but we've jumped that line a quite a number of times. And if we ever jump him again, I'll know him. So we said, well, Marty, we'd like to get a run at him. So we rode over, and this big old stallion was the first horse we came to. And when we come to that stallion, those dogs just went to just a boy. They went to wheeling and the dealing. And there'd been a, a line back there and ate on that horse after it quit raining. So that meant that track was fresh. So we finally found the track, and they was on this 
looked like a big line, but we didn't find the tracks of the other two that is with him. And we didn't trail him any distance, I imagine a half or three quarters of a mile. And this this country there was kind of open on the ridges a lot and real rocky and more timbered in the canyons. And we were above them, and we was riding fast and was staying right close to them, and we saw them go into some bluffs down on this ridge, and we were just sitting there. And now in a minute, around that hillside run three lines, all of them grown. And the, the, the two smaller ones was above this old big one. And he was a running about even with them, and he was angling up. So they, they're going to eventually come together. And we sat there and watched those lines, and that old big line outrun those other two, and he was just angling up. And when they come together, they just went out of sight around the, a point there from us, and that must have been 200 yards or maybe farther from us, maybe 300. And these main pack of hounds had come out of those bluffs, and they were, they were really running around that hillside. And old Barty said, that's the line I ought to see you catch, that old big one, the, the one that, that angled up there and outrun those others and him kind of going uphill and them on the level. And he said, I want to see you catch him. I said, well, we, we can't do it, but we, I hope those hounds can. So we had three pups, and these pups got balled up in those bluffs, and Clell and Barty and Mr. Shirt went on after the pack, and, and I went down there and jumped off my horse and went down in the bluffs and got these uh, these young dogs out and got them started on the track. And they went on around a balling and running in behind these other dogs, and boy, they, and I jumped run jumped on my saddle animal and away I went. And as I run around there I run into Clell. And he says, I saw that old big line again, way off down there. Just went over a point and into into this canyon here and there's only two dogs after him. And I said, Well, the rest of them are back up yonder, off in this canyon, back down in there, and they're they're uh treed. And I thought they were in some bluffs. So I said, where's Barty and Mr. Hen uh, uh, Mr. Shirk? He said, well, they're back around there. I said, well, go, go get them. Let's take them back around there to where those dogs are treed. And he's, he went and got them, and we started off fine. I said, well, they've changed trees. I said, they're not in the same place it was a while ago. And you know, we went down to them, and they had these other lines now gone line, a male and a female, and they had them both up the same tree. And as we came up, we told Mr. Shirk, says, well, kill those things quick so that we can get on after that other one and see if we can catch him. Now, that other one's the one we want. So that was funny, and he was a good shot. He got off of there, and he raised up and shot, and by golly, these lines just Changed limbs. This line he shot jumped over to one limb, and this one that he hadn't shot at jumped back to where this one had jumped from. And uh, so he just raised up, 
and shot the other one that he hadn't shot, and in just a little bit they both fell out dead. Well, boy, we didn't fool around there very much. We let them dogs chew on them a little bit, and we just hung them up and uh, didn't know how long it was going to be till we got back to them, so we just gutted them and hung them up, and it didn't take us long. And uh, O'Clell says, well, I know where that, that old big line crossed this canyon down yonder, and those two dogs is after him. So we went down there and put these other dogs in behind these other two that is after that old big line, and they went around and over a good high ridge, and they crossed two pretty big canyons, and they were really going. And as they crossed the second big, big canyon, where they come out kind of on the ridge and turned into a big bunch of bluffs. And we were coming in behind them. Well, when we found those dogs over at this, at, at these bluffs, well, we found the two that had been a running that was the first ones that was after that old big line. And they had trailed out from that bluff a ways and then just turned and come right back into them. And the dogs couldn't hardly get into those bluffs. And they'd done that several times. And I said, Clell, that line's in those bluffs somewhere. And now it, it may be up to us to find him. Because I don't know whether those dogs will ever get in there and really find that line or not. So here was kind of a big cut that come up right about in the middle of these bluffs. And th th it was not straight up and down. They were just in ledges. I said, well, now you take that side over there and I'll take this side and we'll leave Barty and Mr. Shirt back up here with the saddle animals. And the dogs was all around. And, and I think they knew that line is in those bluffs and they was trying to see if they couldn't get off in there. So I went down and had worked my way and getting cracks and hold on to trees and everything and I got down quite a ways into them. And right to my right was a great big rock. And I was going to, I could climb up it. And I was trying to climb up this rock. And I heard that lion growl. I said, uh-oh. I stopped and listened good again. And in a little bit, he growled again. And I could tell he's right over on the other side of that big rock. Well, I didn't climb up the top of that big rock and look at him because I, I was afraid it might make him move. So I just eased back and finally scrambled back around. I finally got up on top of this bluff just above that line and to look right down on, on him at, on that ledge. Well, he is probably down there, oh, 25, maybe, I imagine, 30, 30 feet. And I eased out there and looked over and looked right down on that line. And he is just crouched there. So I just eased back up and and turned around, and I, after a bit, well, I was back out. So I didn't figure that it would bother him too much if I hollered at Clell, and I hollered at him, and I said, Come on, Clell, here he is. And Clell got out, finally got out and come around there, and I said, Go up there to Barty and, and Mr. Shirk and bring Mr. Shirk down here. But I said, Now this is bad, and he's liable to fall in here. So you and old Barty put a rope on him and put it right and tied around it right in under his arms 
to where you can keep him from falling off on one of these ledges or falling off on one of these bluffs and bring him down here to me and let him come in the lead and you stay behind him and y'all hold that rope. And Joey said, all right. And I said, well, I'm afraid for him off in here. So they they went back and Clell went up there and got him. And here they come, had a 30-foot rope tied in under his arms. And he finally got down to me. And I was standing, I'd worked my way back down to where I was then close to that ledge that I could look over the line. But in the meantime, a little black and tan and a blue tick had worked their way around there and they they was up on that rock looking at that line and obeying him. They was only two dogs that had got in there to where the line was. And they were barking at him. And that old line is just a sitting and a sitting there and growling at him and they wasn't getting up close enough to him for him to slap them. They had been up against them before and went out these were the only two dogs that it, that was able to get off in there and find where that line was. Now, they were up on this big rock and looking down on the line, and they weren't too close to him. They was probably, oh, they was probably 10 or 15 feet from the line, and the line was kind of down below them, and they'd kind of have to jump off of a, that rock to go down there, and they wasn't going to. And that line was a growling at them, but they course wasn't any way near close enough for him to slap at him and so I led the way and Mr. Shirt came in behind me and we got down there to this old right above this old big line and I looked over and he's still right down there same place so I told Mr. Shirk I said Mr. Shirk you'll have to lean out over here to get to shoot down there but I said uh, now be careful because you could get overbalanced, but they can keep you from falling off of there if you do, because they had that rope tied on him, and Clay and Barty is both are holding it. I said, and kill that thing. Well, he leaned out and over that bluff and stuck. He was shooting a fine-built thirty-eight six that he'd had special built, but he never used a scope. He always used a peep sight, and he could really hit shoot. So he leaned over there and got that old gun out there and he stuck her down and he pulled that trigger and that old gun just vibrated right out of his hands and down it went. And, and when I seen that gun last, it's going down with stop first, sticking right straight up. And I said, doggone, that's sure too bad because I'm sure that it broke that gun. But I said, wait till I get down there. So I went around, went back down, got up on that rock, and old Bell and Thunder had got down in there and was a chewing on the line. They'd went on to it. And I kept him from falling off and going any farther down on those ledges, and the line was dead. So I hollered up to him. I said, well, Mr. Shirk, the line is dead, but your gun is in two pieces. And he said, well, that can't be helped. He said, bring the pieces. And he said, I'll have her, I'll have her made. I'll have her fixed again. Because he said, I've done lots of hunting with that gun and killed lots of game with it. And uh, I'm certainly going to have it re put on another stock. 
So they stuck a rope down there, and I sent the gun, both pieces of the gun up over. They drug it up with a rope, and uh, we couldn't hardly take that line out above. So we went and got our saddle animals and went around into the canyon. And finally, after an awful struggle, Clell and I got up to that line, and we got him back down to the bottom of the canyon. And we loaded him up on one of our saddle animals and went up by and got the other two and made our way back to camp. And that was three fine, that was three fine, fine trophies. This old big line, after he, Barty Henderson was right at him, he said, well, that's him. He said, I know that line, and I know that I've been up close to him. And I know that's the line that we've never been able to catch and we probably run him a dozen times. And Mr. Shirk says, well, says, Barty, I'll tell you one thing. Barty says, what's that? He says, he didn't have the Lee boys after him. And old Barty says, well, Mr. Shirk, I agree with you. Says, I, I think that's a, that is it, because he said, I didn't think they'd get him either, but says they did. So he says, I'll take my hat off to them. They got him. And that's more than I could do in these other hunters around here. So then we went on, and that was, oh, I don't know. that His hunt wasn't half over, I don't think. But anyway, before his hunt was over, we treated another big line, but he had to kill it with one of our old rifles instead of using his fancy one. And uh, then he went on back home, and that was his last hunt. And he was a fine sportsman. And uh, I found out after he'd hunted with us just a time or two. I'd never mentioned anything about money to him or anything else. He always sent us, a de when he set the date, he always sent us a deposit on the hunt. And we never told him how much deposit to send or anything. Because I, he knew that was customary. That meant that we would hold the date open for him, and that meant that if he didn't make the hunt, that he would uh, pay that deposit, and the deposit was always 25% of the hunt. And so usually I'd take him back to catch his train or plane or whatever he'd come on. If he could, he'd come on the train and have him a big pull pullman berth. I'd never mention any price to him. And all the ways well, he'd say, well, he'd say, Dale, I forgot what you boys charge, but I think this is what you should have. And it'd always be twice as much as we'd ordinarily charge, and one time it is three times as much. So I, I knew when, now I'm bad to, to keep my mouth shut, but I knew in them, I knew it at that time, to keep my mouth shut. And so he was certainly a wonderful sportsman. Now, I'll tell you what he would do that I haven't hardly seen another man that could do when, like, we'd been a-riding from daylight till noon. And if, if we weren't right on a good, fast track, he always wanted to eat and have lunch about 12 o'clock. Well, we'd stop, and he have lunch, 
And he said, now, boys, I'm going to usually, if there's a tree there, he'd lean up against this tree. He said, now, I'm just going to take a little nap for 15 minutes, and you keep track, notice, and don't let me sleep over 20 minutes at the most, and I'll, and it will certainly refresh me. Well, that old man could go to sleep, I think, faster than anybody I ever saw. And after he'd slept 15 or 20 minutes, well, we'd wake him up. And boy, he'd jump up and say, boy, that refreshed me. And away we'd go. Now, one, one night in Chihuahua, Mexico, we knew a way over there where there was a big male line running. So, we, and it was a long ways. So we got up and left there when you really couldn't see good that morning. And we rode hard till 11 o'clock. And we hit this line strike, and it, we were lucky because we hit it just right, and it was a fresh track. And on the short end of that line's travels that night, and he didn't go far, and uh, we jumped him and treated him about 12.30. Well, we hadn't stopped and ate lunch, so when we treated him, uh, the old man killed him, and we gutted him and, and had lunch there. And he laid back there and took his little 15, 20-minute nap, and we got up and we started back to camp. Well, we were, oh, must have been three miles from camp. And the moon come up. And it was full and shining pretty. And he's riding along there looking at everything. He said, say, Dale says, this is a sure beautiful evening for riding. Well, I said, yes, it is a beautiful evening, Mr. Shirt. But I said, I'd just as soon see that camp. Hadn't you? Oh, he said, that'll be fine, but says, I'm sure enjoying it. Why, and we'd rode miles and miles that day. And so that just shows how tough that old man was. Now, he is tough. And he was sure a wonderful sportsman and sure a wonderful character. Well, now, you know I've thought about that many, many times. And that's the last animal that he ever killed with that gun. And he had had that gun made and had carried it for years. And he was a wonderful shot, and he had killed many, many animals with that gun, that thirty out six. But that's, that's the fate of man. You never do know from one day to the next whether you're going to be here or not. And that was his last hunt. Well, I'm going to tell about one hunt that Mr. Shirt was with us on. And this is a jaguar hunt in Venezuela, South America. And this is about a hunt of my narrowest escape with, I think, any wild animal. And I was with C.H. Barnaby, who was a son-in-law of Mr. Shirk that was with him. Well, that, we had caught several jaguars. And uh, just a few days before that, uh, uh, Barnaby had killed one. But when we first went into the first camp, well, uh, this Ramella Vegas wanted us to go into, he had a big camp down there, or, or made one right about the time we, we left there, a Jaguar camp, down in what they call the Llanos. Now, Caracas is up in the mountains, and we were hunting 
down what they call the Llanos. It would be big flats, and then along where the streams was, it'd be jungly. And sometimes the jungle would only be two or three hundred yards wide, and at places it'd be two mi- two miles wide. And they kind of egg-shaped. Start Manara in and make a bulge and then come back in close to the stream again. Hmm. So Ramella Vegas was a man that made it possible for us to get in, down there and also get permits and everything from Venezuela, but we couldn't take anything but a shotgun. And it had to be a double barrel. Well, Clell and I didn't take any guns because we didn't even have a double barrel shotgun. So, But Mr. Shirk and C.H. Barnaby, they took two double barrel shotguns. And they took a good bunch of, of ammunition from the states of double alt buck and, uh, and also uh, uh, slugs. And then they took some more stuff in case there was some birds that we could kill to eat. But anyway, well, Vegas invited us down. And was either going to go with us and make a camp where he'd been hunting and told us there was lots of jaguar. And the old man shirk told me, he says, no. He says, we're going down there and make a camp of our own. I said, Mr. Shirk, we're making a big mistake. He said, that don't work. He said, I don't want to be in their camp. I said, I do. He said, well, I don't. He said, I want us to have a camp of our own. So I just went and talked to Vegas. It didn't make him mad. He said, all right. He said, I'll send you into a different section, uh, to a different place. He says, you'll be quite a ways from me. And he said, uh, get out there close to where you'll be camped and put up kind of some flags where it's fairly level. And he, he said, and after four or five days, I'll come to your camp in my plane and see how you're getting along. I said, well, that'll be fine. So we went down to, as I remember it, well, let's see, we traveled one day until the end of the night. And then we stopped and stayed at a little old place a while. And then we we started out the next day and got to this little old town called Montecal was in a big truck that we'd rented there and had a driver, and he was as crazy as a native could be, native Venezuelan driver for the truck, and a young fellow, and he was really crazy. And anyway, well, we didn't get in then to the, after traveling two days, I think, and two nights. The second night, probably around two o'clock at night, we got to this little town, and you can find it on the map. It's Monte Carlo. And uh, this Ramilla Vegas had flew Mr. Shirk and C.H. Barnaby in there with his plane and put them up at a little old dinky hotel there. So when we got there, we went and found them. And, uh, and an old fellow was in there uh, waiting for us that's going to take us out and show us where to camp. And he was a little kind of a short feller and wasn't very heavy. And he went barefooted a lot, and he had a great big feet, and they all splayed out. And he had a toe or two off of each foot. I don't never did would ask him what happened to his toes, but I imagine that 
he got infection or something in him. But anyway, well, we went out there and got wasn't very far from Monte Carlo and got a and found us a camp. And we made the camp, made it comfortable and all. And the the old Splayfoot was on a little old ranch there, just oh, not a little over a quarter of a mile from where we camped. So that night, Mr. Shirk and C.H. Barnby and I went up a little ways out of our camp there, and I started calling about dark. And we never heard a jaguar, and I imagine it is maybe 11 o'clock. We come back to our camp and got in, in, in our hammocks under mosquito nets and went to sleep. Well, just as it was breaking day, well, Clell woke us up, and we got up and was walking around there, and there a big jaguar had passed right by our camp that night. Well, not the the wind must the scent must not carry from an animal too good there at certain times, or it was blowing the opposite way because our dogs were was tied right there, and not any of them barked, and we knew that track had been made since since we had come in there that afternoon. So, boy, we was out there ready to take after him, and here come this old native we call Splayfoot. I don't remember his name. And, oh, he said, don't run that thing. Don't run that thing. He said, those dogs can't stop that jaguar. Those dogs can't stop that jaguar. And we told him, said, well, we flew these dogs from the United States down here to run jaguar with them. And we're going to run them. I said, now I'm going to turn this whole pack loose. Which meant about half of our dogs. We had a pack then in camp there of 12 dogs. And I said, we're going to turn these six loose on that Jaguar track. And he said, uh, don't do it, don't do it. And I said, well, Romella Vegas has killed Jaguars here. He said, yes, he has. But says, I can tell you one thing. Romella Vegas has never killed a jaguar here with his dog. Well, I said, how did he kill him? He said, he's killed too. And we found kills and built a, a little thing up over the up over the kills, and he got up in him. And when the jaguar come to eat on the jaguar, well, he, he killed him with a light. I said, well, he didn't tell us that. Well, he said that's well. He said well, that's the truth about it. He says he's never killed a jaguar in this area here with his hounds, and he's had his hounds here two or three different times. I said, well, I don't care whether he has or not. We're going to kill something here with our hounds. He said, no, you're not. He said because they can't stop them. I said, well, are you going to go with me, or am I going by myself? I said because I'm going to turn them loose. Well, he said, if you, I'll go with you. I said, all right. So we turned them loose. And boy, those hounds took that track and they left there. And they did go down into a huge jungle down there. And they trailed and they trailed and they trailed. And uh, we got down into that jungle and there was just jaguar tracks going everywhere. And I know they got off of this jaguar onto another jaguar track and, and then changed on to another one. And part of the time they'd be going the right way, and part of the time the wrong way. Well, it got to be way up in the morning, and of course it's always hot down in there. And right down in that jungle, 
about noon, it really got hot. Well, we kept a trailer until about 2 o'clock that afternoon, and they hadn't jumped a thing. But they had stayed, the hounds hadn't got scattered real bad and stayed pretty close together, and I got them gathered up and got them all, and we turned around and come back. And uh, this old native would keep them. Telling me, he'd say, no separi, no separi. That means they can't make them stop. They can't make them stop. And I heard that no separi so many times it just about made me sick at my stomach when I heard it. So the next day then, we went out there and, and was looking around and didn't go out with our hounds. And these natives found a grown cow killed back over there a ways by Jaguar. And they said that that is uh it had killed it that night. So they didn't get back there till late in the evening, so we told them said we want to go to that cow at daylight in the morning. So we had an old Jeep there. This is a that we'd got from Monte Kyle. It didn't amount to much, but it would get us through there. So we cut a road then that evening across one little strip of jungle, and they said, well, from here we can get to that cow. So early the next morning we loaded, uh, let's see, we loaded four female hounds. And now that, it is, down in that hot country, those out, some of those females had come into season, and we couldn't hunt them with males, so we were just hunting just packs of females. We had, I think, nearly, I think we had as many females just about it as we did males. And they were just as good hounds, too, as any males we had. Maybe better. So we took these four free males, and then, let's see, the driver of the Jeep, Mr. Shirk and C.H. Barnaby, and Clell Nines Playfoot. So got over there and got up pretty close to the kill, and... Old Playfoot went and looked at it and says, that jaguar is ate on that cow last night. So we turned those females out and away they went. Well, that thing had fooled around there so doggone much that they couldn't get the track lined out of where it had left that kill. And I've had that trouble before with jaguars and also mountain lions. And they trailed and trailed and trailed. And after a while, that, well, we had a blue tick female, and she had red tick in her, and the red tick runs high, and she, in a tan, in a tanned uh, head, she'd be really an English color. Then we had one blue tick that was a blue tick color, no papers on her. Then we had a, a little black and tan that was black and tan and blue tick cross. Okay. Then we had uh, a little uh, a red tick and, we call, and uh, a, a red tick color. So we had their names was Freckles, Dora, Belle, and Peggy. Well, old uh, Freckles seemed to know what a, that there's something wrong and what to, what how what to do about it. So she just throwed a big circle way down in the jungle. And she picked up that jaguar's track where it had, it had left that kill. And away she went. And she was by herself. 
which is dangerous for a dog to do after a jaguar. Well, old Splayfoot and I really did take after her. He didn't want to go, but away we went. And she jumped this thing, and I knew she was jumped. And uh, he kept saying to me, no sepati, no sepati. And we just going through there about as fast as we could go, and now in a minute, here stood old Freckles at the foot of a tree, and why, her tongue hung out about as far as she could get it out, and she was really panting. And he said, look at there at that dog. I told you they couldn't make a, these jaguars stop. And I looked up in the tree, and there, there sat this big old female jaguar. And I just kind of poked him. I said, what's that up there in that tree? And he looked up, and he was in front of me, and he run back against me, and he said, shoot it, shoot it. I said, those other fellows up there are supposed to do the shooting. And it was sitting there, staying there all right. And old Freckles had kind of uh, caught her breath, and she was a barking treed. And I knew that they could hear her up there. Well, I could hear then old Dora coming on the, this jump track, and she was a coming fast. So we'd been talking there, but that's one thing you, you don't want to do. And I tried to tell old uh, Splayfoot not to talk above a whisper when he got up close to a jaguar. But he got excited and went to talk any jabbering. So I told him, I said, well, you turn around and go back and get Clell and uh, Mr. Shirk and C.H. and bring them down here. And I'm going to stay here with old Freckles. So after he left and turned, well, I figured it wouldn't make much difference if I did holler. So I hollered to Clell and he answered me and I said, say, I said, I'm a standing here looking at it. Looks to me like a good big jaguar. That's the first thing I'd ever seen in Venezuela. And I said, there's only one dog here. I said, Freckles is here, and Dora is a-coming, and she's not too far off. I said, now, if this thing jumps out, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to let it go and see if they can tree it again, or you want me to kill it? So he talked to them, and they told him, says, you tell him not to let that thing get away. That's our first Jaguar in, in Venezuela, and not to let it get away. So he told me, and I said, all right. Well, Dora was a-getting closer all the time, and she is making good time, and she is a-coming. And Freckles had got her breath to where she was a-barking good. So quite a little time elapsed. And now in a minute, I hadn't seen a Jaguar in Mexico, act like that. It walked out on a limb about, I imagine, 25 feet up, and it's going to jump right out to the ground. And I was standing right behind her, and looking right up, and I saw that it was a female jaguar. And so just as she put her feet out like she was going to jump, I just tried to shoot her right in the middle of the chest from back behind her. And I had this old thirty-five Remington that we'd borrowed there, automatic. And I raised up and thought I took good sight and I pulled the trigger and that thing just dived out of there and away it went. Well, just as it hit the ground, old Dora was there. And boy, her and Freckles built to this female, this Jaguar. And they put it in under a place that, well, well, it was horrible. You could, the only way you could get back there was just get down and crawl. 
on your hands and knees. And those vines and everything was so thick above that you could have got out above and walked right on it. You just would have had to have been careful not to, to fell through that stuff. But I didn't even have a machete. Old Sprayfoot had the machete. So I got down and crawled right in there on my hands and knees. And I must have crawled back for a hundred, hundred and fifty feet. Maybe two hundred feet. And now this jaguar was sick. But it, it laid down. And these two dogs was a circling it. And every once in a while one of them would nip it on the back end. And it would jump up and, and charge them around. And then come back and lay down in the same place. So I'd climb up, crawl up a little closer, and I imagine I was up about 40 feet from her, and she made a little razzy and then come back and laid down the same place and was kind of facing me. Please insert the next CD for the rest of this exciting story.